0: Hello and welcome to One Great 150. I'm Alex. And I'm Sabrina. And we're here with friend and producer Nick, who you can't hear today.
1: Hello. <laughs> you just yell really
0: loudly. Alex's neighbors will love it. <laughs> neighbors. Um, so we've arrived today at the Great Depression. Hooray? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Big I, question I, mark? I looked at you like I wanted a response for that, but I don't know what I expected. Yeah, how big of a response did you want? Like, oh, like a sad trombone noise? Yeah, Is oh, that, that kind of where we're at? Yeah, that would be good, actually. Um, so there are a lot of ways we could handle, I think, this as a topic, but what we're going to key in on are the kinds of, like, radical politics that flourished during this crisis. We're not going to do, like, a Ken Burns-style, like, sad accordion <laughs> music across the Dust Bowl kind of thing? We're just going to talk about various sad people, uh, in the country. Cool. People having droughts, that's it.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of what the 1930s yeah. was.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so we're going to be talking about, uh, Jacob Penner, who was a Winnipeg alderman and a communist. Yeah, like an open communist.
1: I mean, there were so many of those in Winnipeg at the time is the thing that sounds pretty like radical today. But Mm -hmm. for 1930s
0: Winnipeg. Yeah. Pretty par for the course. Yes. No, 100%. And I think that's like what we're talking about is that like he was not super out there necessarily for like 1930s Winnipeg. Um, this is also super in my wheelhouse. We've talked about this before.
1: Yeah, do you want to explain what your thesis was to everyone again? Like, your master's thesis? Oh, I
0: can. Yeah, I always feel embarrassed in telling people what my master's thesis is, because it's just absurdly niche, but every master's thesis I think that's is. the point, though. Um, so my thesis was on uh, African-American travelers to the Soviet Union, mostly in the 20s, a little bit in the 30s. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, kind of international communism, I find super interesting. Um... What about, like, local communism? Do you find that interesting? Yeah, I find that interesting, too. But, I mean, this has aspects of international communism in it as well. Um, And I think I also have, like, really complicated feelings about Jacob Penner specifically. Oh, good. That's fun. So we'll kind of, we'll talk about that. Um, He's a complex guy. Most people are. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think it's just, like, because this is um, a thing that's, like, a, a, a specific interest for me. I think I had maybe some more feelings about it than I, oh, than I do yeah. all the time. Right. Um, so yeah, let's talk about like, how do you make a communist and how do they end up in Winnipeg? Um, so Jacob Penner, he comes from a German speaking Mennonite family in what today is Ukraine at the point was a part of the Russian empire. Um, his parents were like pretty well off. They're this farming family. They've got a good chunk of land. Um, Penner's father encourages him to become a farmer, but he's like, you know what? It's not for me. So he ends up moving to a town some miles away to become a teacher instead. Okay. Um, He actually skips like four grades, I think. He's a pretty bright guy, I guess. Um, He ends up graduating from his teaching course at the age of 16. I don't think you could have control of a room at 16. It's funny you say this because that's precisely what happens. <laughs> so he begins teaching his first class at like 17 and realizes he literally can't. He can't what, keep discipline. What age
1: group? I guess it's like, is it a one-room school? It's a
0: one-room schoolhouse.
1: Yeah, because I'm trying to imagine if I was like 12. Yeah. And a 17-year-old came in to try and tell me stuff. Oh, yeah. Chaos would ensue.
0: <laughs> well, and I imagine there were, like, 14-year-olds as well, yeah. right? Like people. I mean, were, maybe some 16-year-olds. Very possibly, if he had skipped grades, right, yeah. to get where he was. Um, so the one thing that does happen, though, is that while he's away from home at school, he comes into contact with revolutionary thought for the first time. But not socialism yet. Okay. Um, the revolutionary thought at this point was democracy.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah.
0: Well, this is a thing that I think is important to remember when we talk about, like, the revolution that happened, is that before the Russian Revolution, Russia was an absolute monarchy. Right, yeah. And, like, one that was pretty despotic in a lot of ways, right? Um, people were, you know, sent to Siberia for having the wrong idea. That was, like, not a thing that Stalin invented. That was a thing that they already <laughs> did. <laughs> Tried and true tradition at that point. Yes, right? for sure um penner also while he's in school befriends an old peasant man apparently okay um he says i learned from him the incredible uh the incredibly difficult and hard life of the russian peasant this made a great impression on me and while i walked back to town i sat down and began to think there was really something wrong there is a dire need for the peasants to have land okay so he's like he's S- he's something's cooking sure he's 16 and he's starting to think about stuff right as, as a lot of a lot of us do at 16 mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah so like I say he teaches turns out that's just not gonna work so he goes back to school to become yeah. a surveyor um and here again while he's in school he finds himself exposed to somewhat more radical beliefs this time in surveying school <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, like, it's, like, a technical college, right? So I guess, like, they're university students. Yeah, okay. You know. Um, But most of what he's getting at this point is coming from, like, anonymous pamphlets. So he's not part of any groups because he doesn't know how. He's just, like, getting these unsigned pamphlets. (laughs) And he's like, oh, these ideas are interesting. But I don't know who's making them. A mystery. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he'll never learn. Um, So at 19, he gets a job in Yekaterinislav as a surveyor. And shortly after he arrives there in 1902, there's this huge metal factory worker strike. Okay. And about 2,000 workers go on strike and they are like violently suppressed by the police and ultimately by mercenaries who are called in. Um, despite like what Penner certainly sees as some pretty reasonable requests, they're, acting, they're asking for things like a longer lunch break, um, hot water being made available so they can have tea. How long was their lunch break? Do you know? Uh, they were asking for an hour, so I don't know how long it was before that. But, can't, can't have an hour for lunch, (laughs) communists. (laughs) But that- The world is falling apart. Yes. They want hot water. Yeah. And so the, like, that violent suppression is what really radicalizes Jacob Penner. Um, so he runs into an old friend, um, in town who's part of this group. They read things like Marx, but also like Tolstoy. Okay. Um, which, that's illegal, by the way. Reading Tolstoy? Oh, yeah. Why Tolstoy? Pff, anti-monarchist, I guess. All right. Yeah. Um, so Mar- So Penner joins this group. He starts reading Marx and learning about actual socialism. Um, and he becomes one of these people who are, like, distributing leaflets. Um, in the meantime, Penner's family is having kind of a tough time. His dad tries to expand their family farm and ends up, like, having a few crop failures. And he actually defaults on their mortgage. Oh, no. So they decide that they're going to go try their luck in Canada. Basically, they've kind of lost everything. They're like, why not? Sure. Um, All of the ads going on at the time are promising (laughs) unlimited farmland. That's exactly what Penner said, that, like, like, their parents basically saw those ads and were like, sounds great. Yeah, why not?
1: Look at all of those pictures of nice, warm summers with so much
0: wheat. Yes. Um... So Jacob doesn't want to go, but his mom, um, is like, listen, you're getting involved in dangerous things and I'm worried about you. Basically. (laughs) And she tells him that she will not leave if he does not leave. (laughs) Like classic mom guilt. Laying on the guilt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. And that works, I assume. Yes, that works. He's like, okay, fine. Um, can you imagine him telling
1: his book club friends, I've got to go to Canada because my my mom is making making me go to Canada.
0: (laughs) Um, he also kind of hates it here. Does he? Yeah, he gets here and he just finds that it's really, like, empty compared to kind of what he's used to. It's just really spread out. There's, like, no one here. Yeah, okay. I mean, especially if you're in, like, Manitoba in, like, 1904, right? Yeah. Um, he also finds out that his qualifications aren't valid, which, like, immigrants still deal with. That sucks. Um, So... Actually, there's this whole thing where he writes a letter to his uncle about how he's not very impressed with Canada, and his uncle publishes it in a local paper, and then an, <laughs> and then an immigration officer somehow finds out about this and comes and, like, yells at Jacob Penner a little bit. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's incredible in a world pre-social media that that's getting right? around I, like that. I really wonder how he got his hands on that. Yeah. What is the but, chain of events there? I don't know. Someone, told, someone tattled, right? <laughs> um so penner he gets here to manitoba he actually tries to teach for a little while in altona hey yeah i grew up near there yes um but he oh they also actually they stay in morris for a little bit when they first arrive really yeah um his um which the reason you sound excited is because that's your hometown (laughs) i'm from morris um I think, like, they had relatives there, so I think at least... That makes sense. Yes. I think, like, maybe his dad went out to Morris or something to, like, figure stuff out, and then they kind of all came back to Winnipeg. Yeah. And so Jacob Penner, he tries things in Altona, he finds it, quote, unbearable. (laughs) He just doesn't (laughs) like teaching. Uh, Again, he's teaching kids across, like, eight grades. How old is he by this point? Is he still, like, late teens, early 20s? Yeah. I mean early 20s I'd say by this point so like hypothetically could control a room hypothetically could I think it's just not not for him yeah not for him so he goes back to the city he's living in Winnipeg from now on and he manages to get a job in a flower shop called the rosary
1: okay yeah that's a cute name
0: yeah like it's like you know like a rosary but with an e instead of an a ah yeah yeah, yeah. pretty cute so he's now living with his family in Winnipeg and he says the first thing he does when he kind of settles in Winnipeg is to try to find other socialists (laughs) Does he have a hard time? uh, A little bit, yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, this is pretty early, right? Right, okay, yeah, no, you're right. This is too early to, like, find them easily. Oh, yes. So he goes to the trades and labor hall and asks them, like, do you know any socialists? And they're like, we can't tell you that. Shut up. (laughs) No, what they say is, like, well, we don't really have, like, a socialist group, but there's this one old guy. We don't know where he lives, but he comes here sometimes. (laughs) Um, so Penner just starts going to the trades in Labor hall like, all the time, just waiting for this guy to show up. And eventually he does. So it's this old guy named Beeching, and he introduces Penner to, like, a small number of other socialists. They're a group of maybe, like, half a dozen at this yeah. time. And they start kind of, like, meeting and also, like, recruiting other people and having these, like, open-air meetings. Do you know if? Jacob Penner is the youngest person in the group and is therefore, like, a novelty oh. to, like, everyone <laughs> no, else? No, I think beaching is the novelty as being a really old guy. Okay. Yes. I think, like, he talks about, like, oh, yeah, we want to hand out pamphlets, but not so much beaching because he was really old. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, by the way, he also meets his wife at a radical meeting. Really? Uh, yeah, at an, an Emma Goldman lecture. Really? Yes. Um, her name is Rose. She's also a radical. Do you want to explain who Emma Goldman is? Because I feel like her visits here were pretty well, controversial. Well, do you
1: want to explain who Emma Goldman is? I mean, my knowledge of her is basically that she's, like, a pretty radical, like, anarchist that yep. was, like, watched by government groups. Yep. Because they were pretty worried about what she was saying. And she came to Winnipeg, and it was a big thing.
0: Yeah, that's basically it. Um, yeah, so uh, his wife, Rose, um, she's, yeah, like I say, a radical in her own right. And she's also a founder of the Winnipeg Jewish Dramatic Club. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she's definitely kind of, like, just, like, active in the community as well. Um, oh, I kind of love this. They have basically, like, a civil ceremony in 1912 where they, like, invite all their friends, but they refuse to get formally married until, like, 1930 when they say they do it for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> have they had kids at this point? Um, like, after 1912, yeah. But, yeah. oh yeah, by 1930, yeah, yeah they have kids. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no. funny
1: they got married for the kids well after. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> that's not normally how that goes. No. Like,
0: early 1900s i mean i guess they considered themselves to be married yeah. right they just didn't see that uh as communists, inter- they <laughs> didn't see that the state or the church had anything to do with it um so in the meantime by the way penner is taking part in anti-conscription activism okay yeah that makes sense yeah we don't have time to go over like too many of his early activities but just kind of quickly yeah Um, one day at a socialist party picnic, he speaks out against the war. The next day, his speech is in the papers and people are demanding his deportation. Yeah. Not a great entry into, like, public life. No. (laughs) Um, and as a result, he's asked to leave his position at the florist shop. That makes sense. They apparently have a lot of, like, wealthy customers. Oh, no. The Ashdowns, for whatever reason, spend, like, a ton of money on flowers. (laughs) I mean, they've got a big house. They have to make it look nice. That's true. Um, So he ends up taking this job as a candy salesman, which he does for like 10 years. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I'll skip over some details here, but the number of socialists coming to meetings grow as they continue recruiting and handing out pamphlets. Um, And if if this isn't the story of every leftist organization I've ever known, they split. (laughs) Oh man, are there like ideological differences that cause them to like... (laughs) Break apart and never I, meet again? I Shocking news, I know. <laughs> this never happens to people on the are left. Are some of them on, like, really, really petty technicalities, maybe? <laughs> so that, what, like, in the
1: grand scheme of
0: things are kind of meaningless <laughs> to the so ultimate cause? What they split over is the question of whether they should be running for office or <laughs> just doing propaganda. What do they think just doing propaganda will accomplish? Well, I guess they think that eventually there'll be a revolution. But and all but have, done by who? The workers. Okay. But they just have to keep telling them about it until <laughs> they do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? I guess, like, the traditional Marxist view is not that you get to communism by elections, right? Right. It's that you get to communism by a workers' revolution. Right, yes. So they're saying, like, well, no, that's not really, like, proper if we're actually running yeah. elections. So... Penner eventually falls in with the side who are aimed at actually running candidates. Um, so they start, you know, building a proper platform. He also helps to found the Communist Party of Canada in 1921, mm-hmm. though it has to be run secretly for a little while. It's of sort course. of like an underground thing with then like a party that's like the face of the Communist Party. Right. Anyway. I mean, this is coming out like right after the general strike, too. So it's like mm-hmm. a couple years
1: after 19, few years after the revolution. So like if you listen to the Helen Armstrong episode being like a secret
0: communist... Is a big concern, yes, and there were in fact secret communists, yeah. <laughs> um, so Penner gets another job, he gets a job as an accountant for the workers' Ho- cooperative in Winnipeg. I yeah. feel like they come up every off every well, so Well, they have often. a bunch of like oral histories at the archives, yeah, they do. Um, and he specifically works for the creamery. <laughs> hey, it's always milk, it's always milk, anyway. <laughs> um, I don't want to get too bogged down in the various parties because I feel like the leftists are kind of forming new, so, uh, new parties like every. Like that, that would be too many. Yeah, that would take way too long. Yeah. So we're not going to do that. Um, there are basically three main groups in city council in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So there's the independent labor party or the ILP. Um, so these are kind of your like standard labor party leftists. This includes people like um, John Queen, right? We remember yeah. John Queen. He's a strike leader. Yeah. He'll become Winnipeg's mayor at some point during this period yes. of time. Yeah. Yeah. During this episode. Yeah. Um, these are people right before our very are... eyes. Yeah, <laughs> we see him like magic become mayor. <laughs> it's a whole transformation sequence. It's incredible. <laughs> Just imagine it in your brain. The montage. You have to a... know what John Queen looks like first. He gets a new suit. It's more mayoral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these are people who are like friendly to labor, but like in most cases not terribly radical. Yeah. Um, there are the Citizens League Aldermen. Um, so these are a holdover from the strike as well, right? Um, and they represent the interests of Winnipeg's kind of wealthy and upper middle class, mostly people okay. living on the south side of the city. And then finally, we have the Communist Party of Canada, whose ideology you can probably guess. It's right there in the name. Yeah, do I should I explain what communism is or is that patronizing? I don't know. Give it a go. Okay. because um, I feel like all of you have like a conception of sure. it, but yeah, I think like I guess at the most basic level, communism is an ideology that calls for the abolition of private property and so when we say that um what it means is like okay so i used to have a professor who would say like the communists don't want to take your toothbrush right private property doesn't necessarily refer to like you can't own anything what it means is you can't own like a factory well it's not like personal property exactly the distinction it, i had understood. yes as, yeah yeah so it means that you can't own things like yeah things like factories things like huge tracts of land um so there are different schools on like what this might look like right so like the soviet version of communism saw things eventually being run by small local groups of workers these are called soviets that's where the name comes from Mm -hmm. um and yeah communists see capitalism as being exploitative they say that well the worker creates the profit by creating the product that's sold and therefore they ought to share in that profit Mm. anyway that's the basics and you can see why that ideology would be so enticing in Winnipeg, especially after the strike, right? Like, sure, yeah. Like, clearly the workers aren't doing so hot. No, no, they're not doing super well and uh, continue to do increasingly less well. Right, yeah, because, of course, we're getting into the Depression. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and actually, I should say their first alderman is not Jacob Penner. It's actually this guy, William Kalisnek, who's in office from 1926 to 1930. Okay who I think he might be the first communist elected to office in North America. Whoa. Yeah. So good old Winnipeg. Got a lot of weird firsts. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, um, Jacob Penner, he throws his hat in for a couple of elections actually before he's successful. Ah, the old ginger snooks approach. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Keep Um, trying. You'll get there one day. Actually, probably more than a couple. Um, Okay. (laughs) He runs for the house of commons. He only gets a little over 500 votes. Oh. Um, he runs for provincial legislature, loses. He runs for mayor in 1931 and again in 1932. See, I feel like the normal progression where you're trying to go for
1: politics is yeah. you start small and you go big. You nope. don't normally go the <laughs> other way around. That's fascinating that he
0: went so House of Commons first and then worked his way back. I mean, I think part of the advantage of that is knowing. Like, he knew when he ran for House of Commons he wasn't going to win. Right. So you can then have this kind of, like, oppositional... Critical platform that you go in with, right? right? And you're just going into like, it's propaganda too, right? Yes, it's to make a point to to have to make publicity, right, for your for your ideas. Um, so yeah, maybe he actually decides that he wants to actually try. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but in 1933, he runs for city council in Ward Three, which is the North End. Mm -hmm. Um, and he wins. That makes sense. Um, his son, this is from his son Roland. Um, he says we were awakened around midnight by a dreadful noise standing at the standing at the top of the stairs we first heard something we had never heard before moans and groans and the garbled cries of let me down let me down as several men along with walter and norman these are penner's older sons and our weeping mother carried the clearly inebriated jacob penner into the house and up the stairs (laughs) he says that yeah the night his father was elected was the only time he ever saw him get drunk (laughs) Like a celebration drunk. Oh yes. yeah, it was a celebration drunk. But it sounds like maybe because he was like a teetotaler, at... this was completely new to him. He went yeah. a little too far. Yeah, <laughs> I think people were trying to kind of like keep his glass filled, and he was—it was too much. Oh no, oh. <laughs> poor Jake. His poor wife at the Dick- car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now. Yeah, his long-suffering wife, because much to Rose's dismay, he also quits his job at the creamery. <laughs> um, so this is to work as an alderman full-time. He says, like, she argues with him about this, because no one else is doing this. Um, the wage is only $30 a month. That's not so enough. It's not. So for context, a family of four at the time would have needed about, like, a little more than $80 a month to be living a lo- above the poverty line. Um, and the Penners were a family of six. Oh, no. Yeah. How old were the kids? They're varying ages at this point. I don't know.
1: Okay. Old enough to work?
0: No, uh, well, no. <laughs> his, his oldest son, I think the oldest one, Norman, he starts um, speaking at communist rallies, though, by the time he's, like, 11. <laughs> <laughs> Little communist whiz kid. Yeah. Um, in Roland Penner's book, he calls themselves Red Diaper Babies. <laughs> I've heard before, but I think it's really cute. Um, yeah. So the wage is only thirty dollars a month, and what he says he's like, I can't serve my constituents part time. (laughs) And Rose is like, but I wish you would. (laughs) So she actually has to like. You remember how he worked for a candy company? Yeah. She basically has to start wrapping candies for them, like in her home. Oh no. To make ends meet. So it reminded me a little of Helen Armstrong. You remember, she said something about, like, tell- advising her kids not to marry a socialist right, or something. Good thing. Yeah, it was, if you marry a socialist, your kids will never have shoes on their yeah. feet. <laughs> so it's exactly that. <laughs> um, anyway, a year later, uh, Penner is joined by Martin Forkin. He's another communist alderman. Um, and if there's one reason that it is easier for a communist to win an election in 1933 than it would have been in, say, 1923, it's because we are truly in the midst of the Great Depression at this point. Mm-hmm. So on October 24th, 1929, the Tribune's headline reads, Stocks and grain crash in near panic. Wall Street values swept away under selling avalanche. On the 25th, it reads, Stocks recover, market chaos ends. Oh no. (laughs) So they may have mispredicted a little bit. Yeah. Um, Strong course correction there. (laughs) Yeah. So if you remember last episode, we talked about how the price of wheat had fallen to like 80 cents a bushel so by this point it's risen back up to around two dollars a bushel okay um and then it crashes again does it go lower i don't i don't think so but you didn't look up the wheat i prices didn't i'm again. sorry i didn't look up the wheat prices again but i know it crashes again <laughs> i mean everything crashes yeah. in 1929 yeah so really we've had like five years of recovery since we had that previous recession in the early 20s and we're right back in it mm-hmm. so the great depression here though was less of this like Instant moment of the stock market crash, and a lot more of this kind of like slow rolling disaster picking up steam as it goes along. And then more and more things happen, right? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like a snowball rolling down a hill, right? Because so, the decade gets drier too, so crops start to yes, slow down. this is a huge thing, especially in Western Canada. We have a ton of uh, droughts. It's the Dust Bowl. Yeah. So, and yeah, like we talked about in the last episode, our economy here is so dependent on the grain exchange. <laughs> yeah, right? So what do you do when that? Like, how many people's yeah. jobs are impacted by that? Like, yeah. not just farmers. Yeah, exactly. Um, we also have, like, an inflation and debt crisis, though that gives way to deflation over the course of the decade. Woo! Also not great. You don't really want either of those <laughs> in kind of big numbers. Um, and an unemployment crisis. Right. Um there are, like, a ton of hold-ups hold in this period. Like, people are just robbing each other left and right. I mean, yeah, no one has money. And this is when you have, yeah. like, these big parades of unemployed men going, like, basically yes. city to city, right? Yes. Yeah, there's this really interesting thing. I actually was gonna... But just because you brought it up, I was gonna leave it out of here. But um, there's this thing called the On to Ottawa Trek. Yeah. That Jacob Penner is kind of peripherally involved in. Really? Yes. So it's supposed to be a march from Vancouver all the way to Ottawa, of unemployed men kind of picking up people as they go along, but they are violently suppressed in Regina. There's this whole riot. Right, yeah, the Regina riots. Yeah, and so they they get shut down and they never make it to Winnipeg. So the preparations that Penner has done in are Winnipeg ultimately are, useless. Yeah it, yeah. yeah, it doesn't happen, but... We also, unfortunately, have R.B. Bennett as Prime Minister at this time. I don't mm. know if you know too much about him. A little bit, not as much as I maybe should. He's not... I mean, the thing is that he, like literally won't even acknowledge that the great depression is happening. Oh, that's an interesting approach. For a long time? Yeah. So in huh. in the US, they're like, "Oh, we're going to do like the new deal." And we're like, "What? We think everything's fine." <laughs> I won't I won't meet with FDR cuz everything is normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and part of that is because, like, because of those droughts, which are such a big part of it, it hits the west quite a bit before it hits the east. Okay, yeah. And so he's literally just
1: like, I don't know, things seem fine in Ottawa. So, is, yeah, is this just like that classic, like, east-west divide where there's yes. kind of just a wall up where he's like, can't see, can't see it? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I don't Anything know. could be happening out there.
0: <laughs> Do they have cars yet? <laughs> I think they have cars. He just doesn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, our mayor at the time also is once again Ralph Webb at this time. So he was a great tourism booster, as we talked about in the last episode. Maybe not the guy you want during a depression. No, he's just like, just seems kind of not particularly ill Let's bring back Mayor Farmer. Yeah, right? Where, where did he go? <laughs> <laughs> um, like he does kind of try. Um, mm-hmm. so in 1930, the mayors of several western cities meet at the Marlborough Hotel in Winnipeg. To discuss the issue of unemployment, and they eventually take a take a delegation to the prime minister okay. to be like, "Hey, we think a thing is happening," and he's like, "He's like, it can't possibly be." Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "No, I think it's fine for like several more years." <laughs> um, but yeah, but Webb is still kind of stuck in this like pre depression mindset that like you can't help people too much, right? Right. Otherwise, they'll be dependent. Um, he's also, by the way, an ardent anti communist. Webb is. Okay. Um, he at one point threatens to deport all the communists and throw Jacob Penner in the Red River. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is at like a council meeting? Is he making eye contact with Jacob Penner? What's this happening? <laughs> I don't know, actually.
0: That's a good question. I, I'm going to imagine. So yes, in my head. Um, so obviously, like, the kind of citizens aldermen are pretty disdainful of their communist colleagues of Mm -hmm. Penner and Forkin, but I thought we could talk um, a little bit about how well, like, the ILP, so that's the Independent Labor Party, and the communists got along, which was a lot more complex. Yeah. So, like... Communists and liberals having a complicated relationship. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And because, like, in practice, a lot of their, like, local municipal platforms were very similar. I mean, yeah, like,
1: John Queen specifically, especially, like, younger John Queen, oh, lined yeah. up with a lot of communist talking points. It seems like that might have petered out a little bit That's near That's true. His I run. think he gets
0: maybe a little less radical as he goes. Yeah, And I don't know if that was, like, his ideology changing, or if that was for practical reasons. There is, we didn't bring this up in the Helen Armstrong episode, I don't think, but in, the, in
1: her, like, files at the archives, there is a speech she wrote where she basically accuses uh, John Queen of being, like, a traitor. Oh, interesting. I, th- I think he just published something kind of mean about her husband. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quite figure out the origin of it. It's in, like, this really big, like, you can tell she's getting angrier <laughs> as she's writing because it's getting, like, bigger and more sloping. Oh, I love that. So there was some feuds happening already yeah. by, like, the, like, mid-20s.
0: Yeah. so the like, Queen's stances seem to have been shifting a little bit. Uh-huh. And, like, often the, like, the major difference is just that, like, the communist platform ends with a thing being, like, obviously this is just all temporary and the real solution is a workers' revolution. Right. <laughs> They're kind of like, this is only for now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, from around 1934 onwards, um, this kind of, like, trying to get along... Is pretty much in line with what the Common Turn was advi- advising that Communist parties should do. So, do you know what the Common Turn is? I do, but you should explain okay, it to I'll everyone else. I will.
1: <laughs> yeah, Nick is shrugging. Okay,
0: Nick is shrugging off camera. Um, yeah. So this is an important thing for this episode specifically for you guys to be like, no, Alex, people don't know what the Common Turn <laughs> is. Yeah. So this is a thing that Soviets loved to do, where they would just instead of doing an acronym, we they would just push words together. Sure. So Common Turn stands for Communist International. Okay. Um, and so the idea of the Turn was to, like, push worldwide communist revolution and to sort of, like, liaise with international communist parties with the idea that, like, there's actually only one communist party in the whole world. Okay. Not, like, in practice that's <laughs> not true, but that's what they're trying to do, right? They're yeah. trying to be consistent across all countries. Um, so Penner says, The communist revolution can triumph only as a world revolution. If, for example, the working class seized the power in any one country, while the proletariat of other countries still supported capitalism, the great predatory states would ultimately strangle the proletarian one. So their idea is that communism can only succeed if all countries become mm-hmm. communist. Um, and so the common turn kind of provides guidance, right? Yeah. And so the guidance that they're providing around the time, from around the time that Penner is elected, is basically to play nice. Okay. This is easier said than done because the previous policy was the opposite of that. (laughs) Oh, no. So the Communist Party is, like, trying to come to the ILP and be like, hey, we'd like to form a coalition. And the ILP is like, you've spent the last several years trashing us at every turn. (laughs) (laughs) So as an example of their kind of previous animosity, um, Penner had previously tried to ask for a debate with John Queen. This was during one of his, like, mayoral runs. And Queen tells him, between now and election day, my time is fully taken up with election activities. <laughs> <laughs> and he suggests that if they do debate after the election, that the topic be the influence of the common turn on Penner's party. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So he's definitely being pretty kind of, like, dismissive yeah. there, right? Um, by the way, election meetings are often pretty rowdy during this period. No, I mean, it seems like every election meeting we've talked about is, like, packed with people oh, full yeah. of yelling. Yes. Like, they're rowdy. Yes. And I I kind of think there's something to be said for that. I feel like people should be worked up well, they about the political yes, right? politics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that being said, at one point a woman shows up to a debate where Penner's participating and she begins demanding, What did you do to Trotsky? <laughs> <laughs> is this like an old school Trotskyist storming in? I don't know if it's a Trotskyist or, a, or someone on the right. I don't know. It's just a random woman. That is so... With that question, it's so hard to tell which way they're going, right? It really is. And by the way, Trotsky at this point, still alive, just in exile. So he's just like hanging out. This is this when he's like hanging out in Mexico yes, with Frida Kahlo? With Frida Kahlo, yeah. And having like an ardent love affair with her, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the ILP basically is like, no, we don't want to form a coalition. You've been huge jerks to us. <laughs> And so, um, as a result, in 1934, the Communist Party advises that voters spoil their ballots rather than voting for any mayoral candidate by just writing communist across it. Okay. This is maybe not the most productive thing to do. That's how you get Ralph Lubb as mayor again, you yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, despite all this, um, well, first of all, John Queen is elected. Okay. Even yeah. though they're kind of feuding with him a little bit. Um, he's elected in 1935, and... Kenner is, like, he himself, despite the kind of, like, superlatives of his communist Communist party's rhetoric, is a pretty kind of reasonable and respectable guy. For the most part, he does generally manage to work alongside his colleagues, Mm -hmm. particularly, like, his ILP colleagues. Citizen colleagues, not so much. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to get along with any of the other parties either. (laughs) Um, yeah, so... It's (laughs) crazy, also, just to think about, like, imagining city council today being split up into three distinct... Parties. Yeah, it's true. We don't do civic politics like that anymore, at least not in Winnipeg. Yeah. I don't know if other cities do, but yeah, no, the idea of having like people who are aligned with a certain party, we don't really do so much. And that are not like the same necessarily as like the provincial and federal parties, too, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that they're, yeah, like distinct Winnipeg parties to some extent. Because like the ILP has like definitely like. Uh, provincial roles and stuff as yeah. well but like, but like the citizen guys are just kind that's of, just winnipeg that's just their yeah their kind of post-strike thing that they're doing still yeah. for some reason get over it guys <laughs> the strike was 10 years ago guys <laughs> um so we talked in our previous episode about how getting unemployment relief could be difficult and humiliating and unfortunately that really hasn't improved in the meantime no i mean also i can't imagine like they're paying for more roles in unemployment offices right no well this is the thing so actually so and also remember like people are continuing to pour into winnipeg as well because as bad as things are here they're worse in the country so actually james gray who's a winnipeg historian um he wrote a book about living through this period and he wrote that he was first of all so embarrassed to go to the relief office that it took him three tries Oh, no. The first two times he just turned and went downtown and tried to apply to more jobs mm-hmm. and eventually he convinces himself to go and he finds overwhelmed clerks like they're right. kind of like they've tried to hire some more people but they don't really have space the lines are just going like out of the buildings right mm-hmm. they take like sometimes hours to wait in these lines um, and it's kind of like this complicated voucher system like they don't just give you money right and like they come and like inspect your house. <laughs> What are they looking and for in your house? I guess what they're looking for is that you don't have, like, secret income, I think. Okay. But I don't really know. In James Gray's case, they just kind of come and they're like, Yep, you're poor. <laughs> you look poor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this becomes one of Jacob Penner's overarching concerns throughout his time in office. Um, he often criticized how difficult and degrading it was for people to get help, as well as the conditions people had to live and work in, in shelters, people Mm -hmm. who were really down on their luck, right? He advocated for cash relief instead of this, like, complicated voucher system. Um, well, also, the voucher system is going to, like, kind of instantly eliminate people whose English is maybe not as strong as others, right? Yes. And we'll talk more, actually, about why some of those people might have been eliminated as well, for other Mm -hmm. reasons, um... Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point, that it would make things more complicated for those people as well. And it's a really weird thing where, like, you go to the front and they, like, ask you, like, where do you get your groceries? Where do you, and they, would like, give you vouchers. Oh, okay. So it's just way more complicated, right? Um, and, yeah, so he's also advocating for an increased amount of relief. So at the time, it was only $18 a month for a, you, for a family of four. And you said they needed, like, 80 Yeah to be living above the poverty line god what can they even do with eight? Like, would that just cover rent essentially i i guess so i don't know yeah i i guess you just have to be doing i don't know starving i yeah. guess um you know you'd rent probably a smaller place yeah. which is what james gray's family did they they went and they found a place that they could get for the smaller amount of money that they got um yeah, Jacob Penner also tried to bring in a clothing and rental allowance, and most importantly, what he was advocating for throughout the decade was an unemployment insurance system. Oh. Yeah, because at the time, we didn't have anything like right, that. Right, yeah. If you got laid off, you're just, you you don't get paid anymore. Um, now, to pay for all this, he suggested that more money be diverted from the province and federal government to cities. Don't cities always want that? hmm <laughs> this sounds familiar to me yeah (laughs) um but at some point the penner household gets a phone and they basically become like a drop-in center yeah (laughs) yeah like penner would often take on people's cases like they would come to his house and he would kind of help them navigate the system or he would like get on the phone himself to like the relief center or even to like other members of city council right yeah okay um yeah sorry were you gonna say something no, just, that's nice of him. It is, just, yeah. That's nice. No, it's very nice. Like he was definitely someone who put his money where his mouth was, yeah. right? Like he's living himself on a very low wage at this point.
1: Yeah, his <laughs> poor wife. His is poor wife wrapping candies. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming now dealing with like all kinds of company coming by the house. Oh yeah, that she's running with her six oh, children. Oh
0: totally. I'd love to ha- to hear more from her point of view yeah. on like what that was like to, you know, be dealing with people coming in and out of the house and trying to deal with her children and yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, on the subject of unemployment, Penner and Forkin as well, they're largely able to work alongside their labor colleagues mm-hmm. um, to make things at least marginally better. Um, one big improvement is they got rid of compulsory labor. Oh. So what you used to have to do is you'd have to go work in, like, the woodyard or whatever mm-hmm. if you were going to get relief. And so they're like, that's actually, like, demeaning. And there's this weird thing where, okay, when they have this, um, that conference with the mayors, the Mayor of Regina says at one point, like, oh, well, what, one thing we've done is we've stopped using machines. Everyone's just doing everything by hand now so we can do it, Like, make as much work as possible. And I cannot imagine anything more frustrating and demeaning than, than having like, to
1: do work that you know there's a machine for. And you can see it and yeah. it's just
0: sitting there. They're like, no, we
1: don't use that. But do you, I imagine some internally are like, also, we can save money on machinery costs if mm-hmm. we just
0: don't run it for the entire decade. Yeah. Yeah. So they do get rid of that. So that's pretty good. Um, So another thing is that communists are some of the first people to raise concerns about fascism. Yeah. That is also a thing in the 1930s. We also did an episode on that already. We did. Yes. We did a whole episode on this. Um, Definitely recommend going back and listening to it. It's the battle for Market Square. Yeah. Um, And Penner really advocates against fascism throughout the decade and often is coming up against obstacles in trying to emphasize how dangerous fascism is. Mm -hmm. People are not super willing to listen. No to warnings about that. And I feel like a lot of from like the last episode on this, mm-hmm. a lot of the like
1: fascist parties in the city were trying to be like, well, there's secret communists in the government, ignoring that there were, in fact, two actual communists in the government who are yes. mostly doing things like maybe we should like have employment
0: insurance. Yes. Yeah. So um, as early as 1932, Penner is warning that there's probably going to be a war. <laughs> Yeah. Um. He's part of Winnipeg's anti-fascist league. Um. By the way, one of the techniques they would use—I can't remember if we talked about this in the Market Square episode—was just to fill meeting halls so that fascists couldn't use them. Yeah. So a bunch of communists would just come together and just like go in the meeting hall, just hang out. Yeah. Like, hey, we're here. Sorry, meeting (laughs) meeting rooms booked. Um, Yeah, so throughout the 1930s, there's a lot of fighting between communists and fascists in Winnipeg's downtown and North End. Yeah, do you want to remind us briefly what happened in Market Square? Yeah, um, there was a full-on riot,
1: essentially. Yeah. And what had happened... It's been a while since I've looked this up, so I might be a little shakier on the details than I would have been when I did the episode. (laughs) Yeah. But essentially, there had been, like... A fascist party was supposed to meet in Market Square. I think they were, like, 50 to 75 or so fascists. Yeah, and then a group of, like, counter-protesters turned up, and Mm. it became this, like, big
0: brawl in front of the Market Building, where they were, like, ripping planks off, and... Yeah. They were singing, like, The International. (laughs) Yes, yeah. So a lot of those anti-fascist protesters were communists. Yeah. Not all of them. Um... But yeah, so that's the thing that happens. Um, Penner is actually in council when that fight is happening. So So he's right next to it. Oh yeah, like they can hear it. Really? Yes. Um, And certainly he has been... I would love to see the council minutes for that specific meeting. We're going to have a little reading later. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) um, So certainly um, he's been part of like advocating that people fight back against fascism. I don't know that he meant with planks. Maybe he did. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I mean, it did. It but was effective. It was effective. That's true. Um, yeah, he, before John Queen's, um, before John Queen is elected, he pressured Mayor Webb to end fascist meetings. Um, and Webb was like, nah. Well, Penner tells council that fascism is the greatest danger of their time, to which Webb tells him to sit down mm. because, <laughs> because the other aldermen don't want to hear such an ideological speech.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Didn't age well, Ralph Webb. How bad do you think he felt like a decade later? Oh, my God. I hope really bad. <laughs> um, yeah. So in 1935, Panner's part of the Winnipeg Conference Against War and Fascism. They are turned down when they ask to use a school auditorium once a month, like turned down by the school board. Oh, wow. Um, on the grounds that they are a political organization. Um, and in fact, the group had been asked by students, like by a student group to speak at St. John's Technical College, and the principal ends up cancelling the talk on the instructions of the Winnipeg School Board. Really? Yes. So a lot of people are treating anti-fascism at this point as a radical ideology. Yeah, it's, wow, what's that like? I don't (laughs) know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um... And the ILP really kind of tries to play both sides of this. People like John Queen, right, they're, like, denouncing fascism on the one hand, but they also criticize Penner for advocating for free speech for some and not others. Right. Which, I don't know, is complicated, right? Free speech is a complicated topic. Um, But this was another of Penner's big fights while he's in council was free speech Mm -hmm. for people who were not fascists, I guess. (laughs) Um, in particular, he and his fellow communists were fighting Section 98 of the criminal code. Okay, that's not a very sexy name, but you might know about Section 98. This is something that comes in after the Winnipeg General Strike. Mm-hmm. So what this, uh, what this says is, this is just a part of it, any association, organization, society, or corporation whose professed purpose of one or um, whose professed purpose or one of whose purposes is to bring about any governmental, industrial or economic change within Canada by use of force, violent, terrorism or physical injury shall be an unlawful association. Um, it goes on to make it illegal to be a member of any such association or to like wear a badge or make donations or right. sell subscriptions or anything like that to an association that calls for change through violence. Now, this also allows for up to 20 years imprisonment. Whoa, that's a long time. Yes, and in theory, this made membership alone in the Communist Party of Canada illegal. Right, Because yeah. they are advocating, eventually, for revolution. It's a, like, broad hypothetical they cannot yeah. possibly agree on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in fact, several leaders of the Communist Party had been arrested and convicted under Section 98 in the early 1930s. Mm. So, obviously, as aldermen, so this is, like, a part of the criminal code of Canada. As aldermen, there's not a ton they can do about that. But there are a couple of ways to push back against, like, local infringements, against free Mm -hmm. speech. So, one thing Penner could do was push back against deportations. So, the 1907 Immigration Act allowed cities to request that immigrants be deported if they were on relief. So, if you were to immigrate and then lose your job because of the Depression the city could ask Canada to deport you. Oh, wow. So remember how we talked about other reasons that you might have trouble accessing relief? You might just be gone. Yeah, you might be gone, or you might be afraid, right? That if you right, go yeah. to the relief office, you'll be deported. Um, and Winnipeg used this a lot. Did they? Yes, like more than other cities did. <laughs> really? Yeah, um, and occasionally used it to get rid of local radicals. Oh, I mean, of course. They were yes. trying that during the strike anyway. Yes, so they'd be like, oh, this person is, like, a communist, and also they're asking for relief. (laughs) Back they go to wherever. Um, Yeah, no, they're actually overusing this to the extent that, like, consuls from various European countries start asking questions about, like, why are so many of our people getting deported from Winnipeg, specifically? That's so interesting. Yeah, it's really crazy. And so Penner does manage to work with the ILP on this. He prompts a um investigation within city council and they uncover that yes they have been overusing this in fact yeah and so they decide to stop deporting citizens who are on relief or stop deporting immigrants rather who are on relief oh good yeah so that's like a that's you know, a pretty big change genuinely is. no that's a solid improvement it is oh, so that sounds like a like i think in today's terms that would be a
1: huge scandal yeah to uncover at city oh my hall God. right that the yeah. government has been like deliberately deporting people for, yeah. like, political reasons. Yeah, I mean, even because they're unemployed is, like, terrible. Oh, yeah,
0: but... But, like, having, like, sort of a secondary agenda to get rid of them is, yeah like... No, so this definitely, like, reduces fear in immigrant communities, right? Yeah. They're able to access relief. Yeah. Um, and also able to practice free speech because right. they're not a- afraid of being deported. Um, another example of a local free speech issue was the banning of a play called Eight Men Speak. Um, this was basically, like, a socialist revolutionary play. It was actually about those eight guys who had been arrested as communists. Okay. It plays, like, once in Toronto before it's basically banned everywhere in Canada. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, in Winnipeg, it was supposed to play at the Walker, and they ban it by threatening to revoke the license of the Walker Theatre. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, who is doing this? Like, the government of Canada, or...? I believe this is local, like, Okay. That, they're, that they've banned it, right? They've yeah. said, like, yeah, because the, the theater license, that's got to be a municipal issue, right? Right, yeah. Um, so Penner presides over a protest in Market Square that condemns the banning of the play. Um, he also tries to bring up the issue in city council, and he just so happens to do that while the Battle of Old Market Square is happening.
1: Yeah, so outside, like, hundreds of people are getting into a pretty rowdy <laughs> fist fight, And
0: he's like, you banned this play! <laughs> It's time for a, time for a little reading. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to do, I think you're going to do the bolded bits, which are the actual aldermen, and I'll do the kind of narration. Okay. So this is from the Tribune. Alderman Jacob Penner has good cause to wear that sad, apprehensive look. In the council chamber, he sits directly between two extremely active volcanoes and both are liable to erupt without warning. Of the two, fighting Jack Bloomberg, situated at his left, is probably the more active. He may be said to be in a state of almost constant eruption. None the less dangerous, however, is Jim Barry on his right, who lies smoldering much of the time. Barry, when he has a mind to, can stage an eruption that puts Vesuvius to shame. Last night there were ominous rumblings when Alderman Pel- Penner sallied forth on one of his speeches about the Eight Men Speak affair, free speech and freedom of expression, but they went unheeded. Alderman Bloomberg was the first to explode. There was one poor devil stabbed in the back out there while he was buying tomato plants at one of the stalls. Others had their faces bloodied and heads cracked, and we have you to thank, Alderman Penner. The United Front Alderman was to blame for a great many things, according to Fighting Jack. Quite unperturbed, Alderman Penner resumed his speech. The communists, he said, were the only real internationalists in the world. They did not differentiate between races. The black man, the China man, and the Englishman lived together in perfect harmony, he said, painting a rosy picture of a happy, carefree world embraced by the loving arms of communism. Alderman Barry cuts in, looking as though he were literally about to explode.
1: By Harry, I can't stand this any longer. I'm a Canadian and you can't pull this stuff on me, Alderman Penner. If there was a murder out there on the square tonight, you are the one to blame. I heard, you, I heard you tell your men at Norquay School to come down here and fight the
0: nationalists. And you come here with this, hip, with this hypocritical talk, you snake in the grass. Alderman Penner finished his speech and sat down. He wore the sorrowful expression of a beagle. These people just wouldn't try to understand him. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's going on in uh, city council during the battle at Old Market Square. <laughs> wow yeah um and yeah the the play yeah it, it yeah. really i'm just
1: trying not... to imagine everyone trying to have this debate and then like listening to the voice outside <laughs> yeah. and just being like we have an agenda
0: yeah we're <laughs> gonna get this done <laughs> that's a really good point yeah <laughs> and penner's like listen i want to talk about this play and they're like what about that <laughs> which you know is fair actually yeah no like, maybe maybe later <laughs> maybe later um, but it is a little iffy that he they're trying to blame the riot itself on him, seeing as he is, as they can see, in a different place. In a different place, fighting about
1: a like adjacent but different issue. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the other thing the city could do was control access to Market Square, which was a primary meeting place for a lot of groups. So in 1931, the city had actually passed a bylaw prohibiting meetings during business hours. Uh, this was after complaints from business owners. So in 1935, Penner and Forkin put forward motions motions to try to get counsel to reverse this this decision. And I'm assuming it does not work. It does not work. No. But, and I think, you know, part of that is, like, they're trying to, the ILP especially, is trying to play both sides of kind of, like, business friendly and also, like, yes, we like free speech. So, like, they try to tell them, like, oh, we have this other place you could go to. And Penner's like, that place is a mud pit. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, yes, no one will go to the mud pit. This is perfect. (laughs) Basically. Um, In the meantime, people in power actually seem to be a lot more concerned about communism than they are about fascism. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole thing for, like, all of the decade. Yeah. Um, There are jokes, actually, among, like, among communists that while they're being accused of being funded by Moscow, in fact, there are more people in the Communist Party who are being funded by the RCMP. (laughs) Because there are just, like, so many undercover (laughs) agents. Which, there are a lot. Also, they're genuinely, like, fascist undercover sponsored by the German government in Winnipeg at this time. Yeah. We talk about this in the episode. Yeah. People got to go back and listen to the Market Square episode because it's really good. Unfortunately, it's one of the ones we recorded, like, virtually, I think, during COVID. Right, yeah. So, like, the audio quality isn't quite as good. But it's still, it's a really good lesson. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, throughout this period, the police are trying to repress socialist activities pretty seriously. The RTCMP kept hundreds of pages of files on some communist leaders in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Um, They had over a thousand pages of files on Winnipeg as a whole. And Penner and his cohort are fined for their meeting several times. Um, At one point, actually they refused to pay the fine resulting in a week in jail for two socialist leaders. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like that's a, yeah. That seems like par for the course. Yeah. Um, Now, if you remember the fascist meeting, Leading to the battle at Market Square, that actually had, like, virtually no police presence. I think there yeah. were, like, a couple of cops there. Well, yeah, the police just straight up weren't concerned. Yes. In contrast, in 1930, there is um, an international communist celebration. So there are parades in a bunch of cities across Canada and, and other places as well. In Winnipeg, knowing this parade was going to happen, they kept two reserve squads waiting in the basement of City Hall, as well as a number of officers at the actual police station nearby. I mean, this sounds like the strike. Yeah, well, what's really weird to me is they're just, like, sitting, waiting for the moment that they can kind of go and... Attack some people? Attack, yeah. So, 600 people gather in Market Square. They begin making speeches. Um, and then uh, it says, Shortly after 3 p.m., it looked as if the meeting was going to terminate without any excitement, when suddenly there was a cry of, let's go, and the crowd began to surge toward King Street. Police hurried to stop them from having a parade presumably yeah. women who had been standing at the fringe of the crowd were the first to be thrust against the police cordon frightened they were powerless in the crush with police holding them back and the crowd pushing them on the reserves came out of the basement of the city hall on the run and were soon at work trying to hold the mob back um so many members of the crowd are beaten with batons and apparently the reason for the suppression of the parade was they didn't have permission okay did you need like a parade permit at this time it seems yes. like okay you you did and um Alderman um so Kalisnik at this point was the city's like communist Alderman. Yep. And he said that he had applied and they said no. Oh. So I don't I don't know what you'd do then. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting to me to have that level of police presence just because you know there's going to be an unpermitted parade. Yeah, that seems Wouldn't you just, like, give them a little fine? (laughs) Yeah, like, they're kind of like, okay, we're gonna let the speeches happen. Because it took me a while of reading this to realize, like, wait, what's happening that they're saying, like, okay, let's... What's not allowed here? Yeah, what's not allowed here? And the speeches are fine, it's the parade. As soon as they start heading off to walk in the parade. I guess they were looking for, like, any offense, right? Yes. The speaking was fine, but... But you need a permit for the parade, so as soon as that happens, that's when they call Mm. out all the police. I also think it's a little silly to imagine all the police in the basement of City Hall just waiting through the speeches. It's like a, a window cracked open. Um, speeches back then were so long. Oh, also, and like also- People would go to like three-hour speeches for fun.
1: And it was just one guy too yeah. often, right? <laughs> and I'm sure this is a bunch of like long-winded
0: communists yes. too, right? So it's just all these like sweaty cops in the basement of City Hall just like... like- Oh my god, hurry up. Yeah. Um- so unfortunately for these investigators, uh, Penner is a pretty buttoned up guy. Um, to yeah. the extent that they almost seem annoyed by it. <laughs> um, is this like when the cops used
1: to follow Marks around and be like, slept all day again? Yeah,
0: it's exactly like
1: that. He just, he
0: napped and then he went to a bar. Yeah. They... And then he wrote a sad letter to Engels. <laughs> yeah. So they raid his house. They take like half his books um an rcmp report says while intemperate in his political thought penner is temperate in his habits and might be classed as a domestic fellow <laughs> he is not an immoral man nor a drinking man and he smokes little he is strongly opposed to gambling he has never been mixed up in any scandal it is impossible to get something on the man as far as his personal daily life is concerned <coughs> so he's just a boring guy he's just, apparently he liked to spend his saturday afternoons listening to opera on the radio all right yeah and, he, and that's not illegal yet. No. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the laugh, Nick. I mean, one thing to remember here is that, like, by the time that Penner is elected, he's already in his 50s. Oh, yeah, he's not doing anything crazy. No. <laughs> like, he's just, like... He's tired. He's just an old guy in a suit listening to the opera and trying his best. <laughs> um, Martin Forkin, who was the other communist in council, was similarly a pretty quiet guy. He was also um, of like English descent, so it was even harder for them to kind of. They couldn't like, find any justification no. for this. Hey, um, so that being said, though, there were for sure um, communists in Winnipeg who had more violent ideologies, mm-hmm. right? Um, there was at least one guy who had this whole thing about like setting fires, oh. and he would like go around telling people that they should like watch movies with weapons in them so they could <laughs> learn how to use them. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's every parent's fear about video games. Yeah! <laughs> Just, like,
0: funneled into one one lone guy. Yeah, like, okay, there's gonna be this Western on... <laughs> Go see it so you can learn how to use a pistol. <laughs> we don't have a pistol, but you'll learn how to use it. <laughs> um, The problem, though, is that it's kind of hard to tell how much of the stuff that the RCMP recorded about those kinds of communists is actually good information. Right. So, like, I, I don't doubt that there were radical communists who wanted violent revolution. Um... But the RCMP paid for information, so that obviously colors what kind of information they're going to get. And it also seems in what case that what they took as, like, serious planning was maybe just sort of, like, revolutionary daydreaming. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're they're talking a big game, but, like... Yeah, which I say mainly because they never uncovered, like, weapons caches. They never uncovered even, like, paper trails of... Plans, indications of like a cohesive network of people that were planning something. Yeah, it's usually just like, oh, we heard this guy at this communist meeting saying this violent. He stuff. said a big idea, and everyone was like, okay, John. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is not to say that's not a thing to be concerned about. Yeah, but I think sometimes they were maybe overreacting. Right. Yeah. And then you have like a separate. Then you have part- actual fascist. The thing, the reason why they're overreacting, is because there's actual fascists <laughs> also. Um. And the truth is that, like, a lot of the positions taken by Penner, if not by, like, the Communist Party as a whole, were, like, especially if we're looking at them in 2023, not terribly radical. No, I mean, they're, I mean, a lot of what we have now is because of Penner and people like him. Yeah,
1: for sure. So So it just
0: seems normal, like, yeah, of course, like, unemployment insurance exists. Yeah, unemployment insurance, he advocated for public ownership of hospitals, Um, a cheaper fare for streetcars, and also for streetcars to be run by the city. Right, yeah, which is the like thing we talked about last episode, too. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, like, public transit, public health care. Yeah. Things that I think we take for granted to some extent today. Because they've for been, sure. like, the norm for so long now. But, yeah, it's hard to imagine a world in which these are, like, really radical ideas that, like, the RCMP would be
0: watching. Exactly, yeah. And he also advocated for, like, two weeks vacation for municipal workers. We get two weeks vacation now. Yeah. That's the thing you get if you live in Canada, right? So, he was a, like, dyed-in-the-cloth communist, for sure. And I think probably privately held more radical ideas about what he wanted the future to look like. But it sounds like he also privately thought that communist revolution was something that he probably wouldn't see in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. His son Roland said that whenever he asked his dad, like, oh, when's the revolution going to be, his dad would say in 20 years. Just no matter when he asked him, he'd just say always in 20 years. <laughs>
1: That's a good answer, actually.
0: Yeah. Especially for, like, a kid. Yes. He said that he had a friend whose dad was also a communist who would always say in 10 years. So he was like, oh, oh like, he's lucky. His dad <laughs> thinks it's going to happen in 10 years. <laughs> dad has got bigger
1: ideas than yeah. my dad.
0: <laughs> okay. One thing, though, that I do want to talk about that definitely complicates the legacy of any communist hanging out in the 1930s, um, regardless of how good an alderman they might have been, is that um, the 1930s are essentially the height of Stalinist repression. Right? Right. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, like, Stalin, not a great guy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what a brave and controversial opinion to be shared o- live on air. Big opinions on the podcast today. So, this is a time period in the USSR of mass repressions, mass killings, mm-hmm. um, mass starvation. It's a really terrible time. Um... I think the question for me in kind of considering someone like Jacob Penner is, like, how much would a Canadian communist in the 1930s know about what was happening? Right, yeah. So I've been kind of reading and thinking about that, and I, it's really hard to give a definitive answer.
1: Yeah, because I guess what... I mean, because you have what's coming out in, like, obviously, like, Canadian papers about what's going on Yeah. in Russia, but that's always been a little hyperbolic.
0: Yeah, and so I think, like... It it and then probably what's the, what's the was... line the
1: like comintern's
0: putting out, right? Yeah, the Comintern is saying like basically that's all made up. And so I think it probably was the genuine belief of some communists that like either that was being exaggerated or completely made up just to discredit the Soviet mm-hmm. Union. Um and and like given Western animosity to the USSR at that point, that's not completely unreasonable. That being said, there are let's not forget Ukrainian immigrants here and they're some saying some of them are
1: coming like recently right they're yes. new because they're fleeing this and they're
0: saying hey we're coming from this place where there's mass starvation some of those people are like calling out Jacob Penner saying like hey there's a starvation in Ukraine and p- they're saying like we don't we don't no we don't think so yeah so it's really hard to kind of i don't know to deal with that <laughs> i mean
1: i guess you have know, the tough thing when like your ideology is so tied to this foreign government too, yes. right like if he's not there and he can't see what's happening
0: yes exactly
1: that's it's, a, it's a tricky thing to
0: tie yourself to yeah a hundred percent um and i will say too like a lot of the excesses of stalinism weren't fully understood until khrushchev's secret speech in 1956 um which we'll maybe talk about in the bonus show yeah um, and even, like, beyond the fall of the Soviet Union. So, yeah, it's hard to say how much people knew. And, yeah, like you say, when you sort of tie yourself so wholeheartedly to this ideology. Because then also, like, if you, if Jacob Penner were
1: to admit that there were maybe some, like, faults with Stalin, yeah, would that, like, then cause a rift for him
0: within the Communist Party? Hundred, yeah, like, absolutely it would. So, you know, that might have been him getting kicked out of the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's something he should have done. I, yeah, maybe, but... but- well, yeah. I guess, yeah, like, how much did he as an individual know is a question that we just, yes. like, can't possibly no. answer. We just, yeah. Um, now, the other thing that really complicates his legacy um, comes in, so, begins in 1939. So, what happens in 1939 is that the Soviet Union signs a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany. Um, so, what this means is just, it's just an agreement that neither country will attack the other. Um, now this obviously comes as a pretty big blow to the Allied countries, yeah, um, and also to communists, right? So like, yeah. spoiler alert: like Hitler is lying; he is going to attack the Soviet Union. Hitler lying? I know another limb here. Hitler, not a good guy. Also,
1: <laughs> um, I mean, that's
0: the stance in
1: Winnipeg for yeah. some people was like, maybe Hitler's not so bad. Because everyone's so desperately trying to avoid that. You're right. They're trying to avoid war. So many people in, like, a higher level of government are playing so nice with someone that, like, Anyone with eyes could see was going to start a war. It yes. was going to be the cause of like a huge international incident any day now.
0: Yeah, I mean that's you're right. That's a really important point of context. Is like just the absolute desperation not to have another world war. Because we're coming so out soon.
1: of it's not that long. Like a lot of people in Winnipeg would have lived through the first world war. Or the new yeah. immigrants coming from Ukraine lived yeah. through the first world war. Yeah. No one wants to see that again.
0: No. So everyone's like, we'll just like kind of either ignore him or we'll play nice yeah. to this like obvious fascist. Yeah. And so this is obviously a huge pivot from the Soviet Union's previous kind of ardent anti-fascism. Right. Um, and simultaneously, as that happens, the common turn is really cracking down on communist parties in other countries, kind of stepping out of line. They're really trying to kind of shore up their talking points. So it's, they're saying like, no, listen, the talking point is, this is not weird. This is not confusing. Good. Yeah. No one has questions. Um, so on in August 1939, Jacob Penner gives a speech to 2,500 people in Market Square, basically defending the Non Aggression Pact, and claiming oh. and claiming that there is quote no confusion. Um, he claims that the Soviet Union was still the enemy of Germany and that Russia would carry on fighting fascism. Um, but just not the actual fascist. Yeah, but just not actual fascist Germany,
1: like hypothetically in like yeah, in our minds we're fighting them really right. right. <laughs> We're thinking about it a (laughs) lot.
0: We're just so angry at him, we're thinking about it. (laughs) But, um... Gonna write a mean letter to the local paper. Yeah, so he says, Knowing these things, communists could take the announcement of the signing of the pact in their stride. Um, he tries to explain that Russia had offered to sign non-aggression pacts with all neighboring countries, and it was simply that Germany had agreed to it, and other countries hadn't. Which is a pretty lame excuse. Yeah, that's pretty flaky. Um... He also has this kind of theory that, like, oh, maybe it will, like, subvert the Axis alliance, right? The alliance of, like, Germany and uh, Japan and Italy. Mm -hmm. That, like, oh, they're also now kind of allied with the Soviet Union. Somehow it'll subvert that. It's like being that close to the Soviet Union will, like, change them on some level. No, I think more that, like, they'll be like, oh, who's this other person you've invited into the party? I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I think the other thing that, like, kind of goes unsaid in Penner's speech, but that I think is relevant, is that parts uh, part of the communist theory at this point was that as capitalism failed, capitalist countries would begin warring with each other. So you think, like, part of it was that they were just going to kind of step back and watch that, like, play out? Yes. I think 100% that was their ideal plan. I think the Soviet Union wanted to step back and let Germany and the west fight out what they were gonna do but that has to be so hard as a communist in the west yes um yeah no i feel like it had to have been confusing it had to have been a blow um it's all and i don't know I imagine it, the debates at those like communist meetings before they gave those speeches yeah man and i don't know i find it pretty disappointing that he chose to follow the party line on that yeah um this pact also um means in more practical terms that in addition to the suppression that communists had already been subject to communists are essentially a wartime enemy now right yeah um in 1940 the communist party is declared illegal um and a week later after it is declared illegal jacob penner is arrested right Yeah. under section 21 of the defense of canada regulations so no charges were laid um police would not even tell the press where penner was at first Um, All that was known was that the police had acted on instructions from Ottawa. Was he still in office as Alderman at the time? Yes. Yes, he was. Um, And so that actually becomes a bit of a gray area because technically there's nothing preventing an interned individual from holding office. Yeah. So city council actually sets about starting to try to ask the province to, like, set some kind of law that will allow them... (laughs) What do we do if... Yes. the government essentially kidnaps
1: one of our counselors.
0: Yeah,
1: is, right, basically. And then won't tell us where he is. Yeah,
0: and so, like, what and, like, we no know... like, no charges are laid, right? So there's kind of holding him somewhere. No, like, what, what we know now, what's learned later, is that he was arrested, like, not even on individual charges, but basically as part of a list of active and dangerous communists. Ah, uh, okay. Which is signed off on by Justice Minister Lapointe. Um... We have a first-hand account from another Winnipeg communist who was interned, Andrew Balecki. I believe he was on, um, like, he was on, like, he was, like, a school trustee for a while. Okay. He was on the school board. Um, cops showed up for him at six in the morning. Um, he said he didn't wa- he didn't lock his doors, so he found them in his kitchen. Oh. Basically, they were, just came right into his house. He didn't want to wake his daughter, so he kissed her on the forehead before he was taken away. Oh. It was really sad. Uh, he said that he was told there were no charges and he had no rights. Oh. Um, hmm. and he actually, when he gets to the camp, Jacob Penner's already there and has been there for a couple months, so. Where is the camp, do you know? He goes to a bunch of different places, actually. Um, the eventual camp where Penner ends up, I believe, is in Hull in, okay. in Quebec. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, he kind of gets bounced around a little bit. Um, and both of their accounts mention that in these camps they were in there with, like, there were a few other communists, but mostly, or there were at least hundreds of like suspected and also actual nazi sympathizers as well right which can't have been all, uh, terribly safe for well there was a period uh, of time communist. too where they were putting essentially like jewish radicals in Marita- yeah, or in yeah, canada so, into those same camps yeah so all kinds of people in yeah. those internment camps um so penner's oldest son norman who i mentioned this is a guy who's been speaking at communist rallies since he was 11 right um, so he appears before city council alongside Rose to ask that his father not be expelled from city council. Um, he says, I came here as a son fighting for his father. An outrageous infamy has been perpetrated against him. And I understand that certain members of council would seek to perpetuate and aggravate the infamy with a motion to oust him from this body. So he argues that it's unfair to um, kick his father out of council when his father isn't there to defend himself, basically. Yeah. Um, he also throws in a jab that they were just afraid of people like his father, who were actual representatives of the worker and middle class. That's what he says. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which probably didn't help matters, if I'm honest. No. Uh, I appreciate the gusto, but maybe not quite the right time. Yeah. So Jacob Penner is eventually stripped of his seat. The province passes a law that basically says if someone is interned after six months, they can be removed from from office. Um, The following year, Norman goes to Ottawa as head of a delegation to Justice Minister uh, LaPointe, asking him to repeal the section of the Defense of Canada regulations, allowing people to be interned without trial. Um, LaPointe is like, no, don't care. (laughs) Um, But the internment of communists does become more complicated for the Canadian government after 1941 because the USSR joins the Allies. Right. After they find out that Hitler lied. (laughs) A shocking twist. I know. So in, though it takes like another year or so for Penner to be released. Well, I assume they're not keen to let them out. <laughs> no, right? And um, it takes quite a lot of people being like, hey, why is this still illegal? Those are allies They're now. on our side now. Yeah. So he's eventually released in late 1942. He was interned for two years, which is a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, other people spend longer, but you know. So Norman, who at this point is actually a lieutenant corporal in the army, um, he meets his father on the train home to Winnipeg. Oh, um, A crowd of friends greet Jacob Penner at the train station. They were so big, big that they um, blocked traffic as they left. <laughs> and, of course, um, Rose and uh, Jacob's mother were both there as well. Right, yeah. Um, a few days later, there's like a banquet for released internees, which is held by the Winnipeg Council for Democratic Rights. And less than three months after his release jacob penner is elected back into city council
1: yeah it seems like he had a lot of supporters also it seems like he's done like genuinely
0: good civic work for his
1: constituents
0: well this is the thing that people say like okay i've got this quote somewhere from the free press they say he drew his support in ward 3 from dedicated communists like himself and from people who cared nothing for politics but who admired his efficiency and ability and who believed that he worked for the underdog I mean, yeah, like, if he's opening up his house to everyone in yes. the neighborhood, basically, And they right? said, like, you know, it wasn't just communists that he, he helped, right? Like, if someone who was politically opposed to him showed up and was like, Hey, I need help, my family's starving, he was that yeah. was still someone who he would help. So he certainly, yeah, he had a lot of support, I think, in his ward from people who were not all that ideological, who probably would not have considered themselves communists. They just liked Loved what he was doing. Yeah, they liked their aldermen. Um... Yeah, and by nineteen forty three Penner is already giving speeches. He's raising funds again. He's advocating for the release of other political prisoners. So he you know, takes he, they his kids said that he kind of looked like he had just been like away for a weekend when he came back. <laughs> it's just a very Took it on the chin. Yeah, it's a very like calm, sturdy guy, seemingly. Um yeah, so I think like because Penner was such a kind of Buttoned up guy. I think a lot of people saw him more as a curiosity than a threat. Right. Um, men of his, many of his like less radical colleagues admired him. Um, Stanley Knowles of the CCF, which later is kind of the it's kind of the forefather of the NDP. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, "I had a great respect for him because one felt that he never let down his determination to achieve a communist regime someday. But meantime, he was an awfully good alderman." <laughs> yeah. Oh. So. <laughs> Um we named a park after him. We did. There's a Jacob Penner Park. Um he went on he was in council for like 30 years. He was around for so long. Yeah, until he was like an old old man listening to so much opera. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> um and a lot of the things that he was advocating for like we said we ended up doing. The big one is um employment insurance. We have yeah. that now. I think probably he envisioned it as being more generous. Yeah, Um. He. I, I'm assuming also like maybe a little less complicated to apply for sometimes. Yeah, well, he wanted it to be a non-contributory system also. Oh, so like we pay into EI. Yeah, that was not the system that he wanted. Interesting. But I don't know how he foresaw the funding of it. <laughs> um, from 1942, all adult residents of Winnipeg get to vote in municipal elections. That was the thing he advocated for. Um, yeah, we have public ownership of buses now, we have some subsidized housing, it could be better, but yeah, yeah certainly a lot of things that, um, he advocated for that we kind of take for granted now. Yeah. I don't know, do you have thoughts on our, on our first communist, uh, well, not our first communist, our second communist alderman, <laughs> our longest running one? No, I mean, what I think is the same thing I thought when I was
1: doing the Battle for Market Square episode, that it is so, it's so funny to hear, like, the fascist party rhetoric about dangerous communists. And then you just look to, like, <laughs> Jacob Penner sitting at home listening to his opera. Yeah. And then, like, helping someone apply for, like, relief during the Depression. Yeah. Like, the the
0: threats may have been different <laughs> than they were imagining. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's all I got for us no, today.
1: I mean, it's nice to have an episode about someone who just, like,
0: genuinely cared for, like, his neighborhood. Yeah. And his community. Uh, yes. And, I mean... I have, I don't know, I have big feelings about some of the ideological choices that he made, especially towards the end of the 30s there, but I think he did a lot of good. I mean, no one is, like, ideologically perfect, right? No. This is the thing. Everyone's going to be yes. complicated and messy and kind of all over the place. Yeah, and I mean, that's why this series isn't a Greatest Winnipeggers series, right? Because who is truly great? Right, there you go. <laughs> that's the lesson. <laughs> Nick's scoffing at our very deep lesson. (laughs) We're real philosophers here. Yeah. (laughs) All right. You want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah.
1: Well, uh, first, thank you to the Winnipeg Foundation, their Centennial Institute grant uh, for their support. Thank you to the Manitoba Heritage Grant Fund, the Manitoba Historical Society, and the Winnipeg Free Press for their support of the project. We really appreciate it. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash one great history. We put up bonus episodes, but all kinds of fun random stuff, uh, post-episode talks about all of the, like, source things we had to leave Mm -hmm. out. I believe you had to go through a bunch of, like, interviews of Jacob Penner from his son.
0: Yeah, yes, very fun. They have real, like, son-annoyed-with-his-elderly-father energy. So we'll be talking about that. Yeah.
1: So you can hear some of the stuff we left out, some of, like, the source material we dealt with. It's always fun to hear what what we stumble across along the way. Um, if you want to just follow us on social media, you can check us out at uh, Facebook and Instagram at One Great History. We are on Twitter at the number One Great History. You can see sources and pictures and all of that fun stuff for the show at onegreathistory.wordpress.com. I'm not sleep deprived and a little sunburned. <laughs>
0: look you at my, are a little pink. Look at my polo shirt tan. <laughs> End the episode.
1: <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Ha,
0: ha, ha, ha.